When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Easter Sunday, 2017. This is Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio, and I am Coach Nick. You in? Got to give him a good performance today, too, Nick, because uh, there's been enough previewing of Celtics Bulls this is sort of I would love to call this the main event <laughs> I, I am uh, I'm fully prepared to handle the pressure of the playoffs a lot of isolation offense it's going to be mostly you I'm giving the ball to you and I'm just going to stand I'll get out of the way the shot goes in yay the team won but this is episode number 205 of Celtics beat which this week is being brought to you by movement watches and blue apron blueapron.com slash Celtics beat for as you know coach Three free meals with free mm-hmm. shipping. All I right. just made one last night. <laughs> we do have the Twitter giveaway, uh, of course, Game 2, which is on Tuesday, which is going to seem like eons away uh, to those who listen to the show. Maybe not so much today. I do want to sort of dive right into this. There's really no sense beating around the bush anymore. Like I said, there's been enough of previewing the NBA playoffs. We'll do it here. We'll do it with not someone, of course, you, Coach, Mr. B-Ball Breakdown, Coach Nick. But actually, someone who has an emotional interest—do you still have an emotional investment in the Chicago Bulls? The, oh, the Chicago, the Chicago Bulls—the same way you did during the Jordan years. Uh, no, I mean, okay. you know, I grew up in Chicago. We had tickets and went to every game. Um, and every once in a while, when I'm watching maybe a Bulls game, some distant, uh, you know, rooted emotion might pop out a little bit. But uh, you know, I don't, I don't cheer for the Bulls like I certainly like I did then. I mean, that was just a fanaticism that existed. That I'm, I don't even know if it will ever, you know, come back to that in Chicago. Maybe it will, but. There was nothing like being in the Chicago Stadium and, and watching them go on a run. Those those Bulls teams kind of really feigned my interest in the NBA in the late 90s. I hated that team with Rodman so much but when they picked up Rodman. And by 97, 98, it was still just, uh, ugh, I mean, can these clowns go away already? But anyways, <laughs> no more 90s reminiscing. It's, that shows my age. I just turned 30 this past summer. I, I hate talking about the 90s like it was so long ago. You brought up a very interesting point on your show, the B-Ball Breakdown podcast, also available on the CLNS Radio mobile app. In regards to the Bulls with Dwayne Wade, they rallied at the end of the season just to get into the playoffs, mostly without Dwayne Wade. He came back with something like two or three games left in the regular season. You talked with Coach Dave Dufour about how that they may have been better without Wade. So I'll give you the floor on your little Ewing theory when it comes to the Bulls without Dwayne Wade. Uh, you know, looking at the uh, the on-off numbers and how it just doesn't seem to fit. And you know, the other thing is is the way they finished their season uh, against certain teams. It was a it was a relatively easy schedule, uh, even though they lost to the Knicks of all people. But they had the Sixers and the Nets twice and the Magic. So that's gonna that really helped them anyway. Pistons were in their Sixers. So um, you know, so that there's a lot of context going on. But the bottom line is, it just seems like they were struggling to get those three guys, Rondo and and uh, and uh, Butler. And and Wade integrated into a seamless offense. And, you know, someone on Twitter was coming up to me asking me if, if Wade should just go to the bench. 
And I think that might actually be the perfect role for him in the way that the, the Bulls roster is shaped right now. Uh, that might really help them more, but I think it's a pride thing he'll never go to the bench. Especially during the NBA playoffs, that's not something you want to be experimenting with for, with their season on the line. It may look good on the Celtics <laughs> end. I mean, you know, fair enough, but, you know, you're the AC going against number one. It's never been an upset anyway. This is going to be a win for the Celtics, but, um, you, you know, maybe, who knows? Maybe they're down 3 nothing and they'll just try it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. One real quick question, too, in just regards, because I, I really want to just get into a more of a general aspect of breaking down the series and, of course, really just giving you just the whole, you know, shebang of this show. One point that was brought up in the waning days of the regular season when it came to matchups, who should the, uh, who did the Celtics want to face, what's not a good matchup, Brian Scalabrini was adamant outside of, of course, facing Cleveland that the Celtics against a team that runs any type of isolation offense, the Bulls would qualify as that real quick is that correct um well i mean if you went to like synergy for instance to look how they break out on their offense they don't isolate that much it's you know it's way down there in the list but they certainly have the players like butler and wade who could do it and i could see how that happens but then again remember hoiberg isn't really an iso offensive coach so eh, i'm not so sure i'd be that concerned yeah because he was just talking oh, not more about concern he was talking more so about in the fact that Outside of Cleveland, any other matchup for the Celtics against a team that utilizes a lot of isolation sets on their offense, that's sort of a win for Boston in that aspect. Aha. Uh-huh. Um, fair enough. I mean, you know, Boston's a really well-coached team, and they don't get out of position, and they know how to make you do what you don't want to do. Um, you know what I mean? And they'll, and I'm sure that Stevens will scout and know how to take away the most uh, important stuff that you guys, that the Bulls are going to want to run. You know, that said, their, their defensive rating isn't great overall. Boston's, uh, right? Boston's is, isn't. And, well again, that, and we've talked about this before where it really is hard to make sense of it with the, you know, specific players they have who are good defensive players. It's, it's very weird to me, and um, I, I don't think it's going to flip a switch all of a sudden in the playoffs, and then they're going to be great. But um, you know, they they certainly have the tools to yeah to guard ISO players. One thing I do want to discuss about because I'm really mostly also going on what you've put out on your Twitter. Let me guess: is your Twitter at Bball Breakdown the same way your website, podcast, YouTube channel is? That that that's safe to say. Uh, we we try and make it as easy as possible for everyone. Thanks, Nick. Yes. But after the Cavs game, sorry to bring up a bad memory to anyone who is with emotional investment of the Celtics who are listening, which I, of course, as I assume is much mm-hmm. of the audience, you brought up, I thought, a very good point in regards to really the Celtics only scoring 91 points against Cleveland, their offense like crap. And I actually talked about it on the show in that in that week in that I, I didn't think the Celtics offense just looked all that bad. It came all the way down to just them missing shots. They got plenty of good looks in that game. We had Dave McMenamin here last Sunday, I believe, and he says, oh, that's just another case of the Cavs utilizing a strategy the same way they used in 2015 in the playoffs where you just got, all you got to do is key on Isaiah Thomas, you know, easier said than done. I don't think that's the case any, you know, anymore. I think the Celtics now have shooters any, everywhere. I would assume you agree with me on that. I see you nodding your head over there. So I get you a little going a little more further detail. Sure. Well, you know, this is the context for me was I had done a video on the Cleveland Cavaliers defense and how bad it had been since January 1st. And whether they could flip the switch or not, I, I, it was kind of doubtful to me. But, you know, you never with LeBron, you never know. So when they played that game, I was very excited to see how this is going to stack up and how the Celtics were going to make a statement or not. And um, everybody from Cleveland started yelling at me saying, see, 
they flipped the switch. They really played defense well. And so I went back in the footage and I just looked at the first quarter field goal attempts by the Celtics, just the first quarter. And I made a little edit that I posted onto Twitter that kind of went viral because it was like every shot they took was a really good shot. And there was some, some sort of breakdown by the Cavaliers defense. And they were just lucky that they missed. Or, you know, the Celtics just, I, for whatever reason, I, I don't know how consistent they might be in those shots, but it wasn't good defense. And yet the Cavalier fans were like all excited about what they were doing so you know I would imagine over time the Celtics would would start to hit those shots and maybe not get caught up in the moment of like a big regular season game um so I wasn't impressed by that and I feel like but then again I was also down the Celtics I'm like that was their one statement chance and they blew it yeah that was actually I think the more concern of that game is the fact that it could have been them missing that shots is something you could trace to pressure but if you just look at it it's just breaking down say of a uh and we can even do this of a quote-unquote, how to beat the Celtics offensively or, you know, slow them down on the offensive end. I don't think that, at least from what I've seen over the 82 games, say I've watched 77, 78 of them, I have missed a few. I actually did skip the Bucks game, the last game of the regular season. I, I saw the lineups for the Milwaukee. It's like, you know, I don't think I'm going to get much out of this one. But anyways, plenty of evidence out of the 82 in, in that no one has really stifled the Celtics' offense in any of these games. I thought it just came down, you know, it would come down to something like what happened in the Cleveland game in which they just missed shots, whereas opposed to last year, there were plenty of times where uh, where everything would just come to a screeching halt. They couldn't get any good looks, and plus they didn't have anyone you know who was good enough to make such shots like that. Uh, all the tape that you've broken down of Boston, has there anything that's shown where if things go awry for them, it's not really about shot missing? What what are some ways that you can beat Boston offensively, and is can you use the same 2015-2016 quote-unquote to, to – talk about it in just simpler terms or a simpler phrase is key on Isaiah Thomas. Right. Well, it's a great, great question. And, you know, the, the way oh, wow. that they, Thank you. <laughs> the way that they spread the floor is really good. They, they really get great spacing. They try and break you down and force a rotation and kick it out. And they make that extra pass really, really well. However, there are times when if you look at like just the makes and as you start to see a pattern, you know, over a course of a season where, Sometimes that penetration where they're getting the force of the closeout doesn't really get very far. It doesn't get like below the free throw line. And against the better teams, and the Bulls are a very good team defending the spot up and then rotating. They really are. They hustle and they have good energy there. So those shots become difficult. And then under the microscope of the playoffs, you know, a semi-open three-pointer with a guy like sort of running at you, you know, that's a little bit more fraught with a little more, you know, uh, pressure than normal. And so that would be where I'd be more concerned, where they stop getting like deep penetration into the lane. And then those kickouts are just sort of half open or not open shots that don't fall. And that would be what I'd be worried about. Um, You know, the king on Isaiah I don't get it. The guy's done it for the entire season, and you would think they all would key on him, and yet he continues to score and score at will. Um, and I don't know what you can do when a guy's got the ball in his hands to do much more than, you know, I guess you could try and trap him, but they move the ball. So I don't know. I don't know. I think obviously you want to let the other guys shoot much more than Isaiah, but um, it's not easy. One peeve, you talked about the great ball, but I can't tell you how many times I've watched this season where they have these, you know, great ball moving around the perimeter, great ball moving out of the coast, cutting, and it it finds a way to wind up in Marcus Smart's hand with a wide-open three-point shot. I guess that's the one way, if you're an opposing team, i.e. the Chicago Bulls in the next week and a half, two weeks or so, maybe even less, I hope I hope less, uh, is, yeah, find a way to get uh, Marcus Smart a wide-open look if you're going to have that type of ball movement. 
For sure. And whoever's guarding him, they're going to really sag off to help out on all the other beautiful cutters and movement. And and yeah, they won't run at him at all. I mean, I would hope they won't run at him. No offense to the smart, smart fans. But there was a rumor going around like maybe a few weeks ago that after he cut his hair, he was shooting a lot better. I think that was happening for a little while. I'm looking at his overall numbers. I haven't looked at him in the last whatever. Yeah, don't look but, at him, please. They're heinous. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the problem with it is is that he's shooting four threes a game at that moment. That is a range. huge problem. And I don't want to, you know, turn into this because I, I know he does so many things for the team. But that is you know, the one thing. It's like, if you're going to offer advice to an opposing team of what you do, Boston moves the ball so well, sometimes the ball movement finds its way. And Marcus Smart, wide open three-pointer, and he has the quickest trigger. He's taken that shot. One also thing, I, I should, I've, I've pointed this out a lot, and I, I've, I've mentioned to you and text messages that we've exchanged at you know around two o'clock in the morning, is why Al Horford is so ineffective in the blocks. I've said it on this show all the time. Boston's been running a decent amount. I don't want to say uh, just more offense than I would in, expect and anticipate them to run, considering just how yeah, lack, how not very good he is down to the post. Well, I'm shocked I couldn't come up with a nice phrase there. So I guess some advice to the Chicago Bulls, if you want to feed this along, because I know you do talk to these coaches regularly, har, 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 is just don't double team. He's, he's still a very effective passer out of there, but he's just not assertive enough in, to get a high percentage shot of anything if he goes one-on-one down in the blocks. Yeah, and I and I think Lopez is big enough and and has enough uh, ability down there to to handle that for the most part. And it would, certainly would be a thing where okay, he scored three times in a row. Now we got to deal with it. But uh, until I that seen happens, that all year I have not seen. Literally, I've not seen outside of a game against Philadelphia at the end of March. Sorry to interrupt you, Nick. I have not seen Al Horford like work it in the blocks where he's scored like on multiple possessions in a row on a one-on-one back to the basket situation. Well, and also the Celtics offense really isn't designed like that either. So it's not like they're going to go to him three, four times in a row, right? They're going to, that ball whips around and, you know, every once in a while, okay, let's hit the post and we'll cut off of it. But any post player in that offense, I would think, you know, would, would have a little struggle just because there's not a lot of consistent low post touches. He's still a very effective passer, though. Boston still uses the cutters, uh, you know, tremendously well. So we actually just, without even planning it, did sort of a how to beat the Celtics offensively. Did discuss sort of something, you know, a generic, uh, you know, vantage point is oh, just Key and Isaiah Thomas. Where both me and you now agree. I don't think that that is a well expired, well expired phrase that is you know faded away into the realms of say 2015. But some other things, I actually think that if you are going to beat the Celtics offensively, really, that's it's you can slow them down to a certain extent. What about uh, since I know you watch plenty of the Chicago Bulls? Give me this is where you got to take it from me. Give me sort of a I guess how to beat the Chicago Bulls offensively type blueprint. Well, uh, you know, they're not really good overall offensively. Uh, they're ranked, you know, on the synergy, they're twenty sixth uh, in in offense, and in the whole half court, they're also twenty sixth. So. Um, you know, there's there's not a lot of, you know, worry outside of like sort of Jimmy Butler, you know, there's guys who are very inconsistent. So like a Miritich or that kind of guy who you just want, he'd be like the Marcus Smart for the Bulls. Um, the ball movement has been better, though, recently. And they, I feel like they've looked a little bit more like the Celtics on, on when they get the Is ball moving, by the Wade? way. Yeah, I mean, and that's okay. what well, I, I went through the last, you know, several games without Wade, and then that's what you see. So um, that that could very well change now that Wade's back and he'll be playing more often. Um, the one thing I thought was really strange was that they're, they're really rated pretty low in the pick and roll ball handler, even though Jimmy Butler is a, a really good elite pick and roll ball handler player, and he does it so often for them. 
So, um, I, you know, all I could glean from that was like, you know, the guys who are really struggling, like Michael, Michael Carter Williams and Rondo, you know, they're sort of dragging everything else down. But you have to imagine that in the playoffs, you know, what Butler and Wade, both two very good pick and roll players, will get the, the vast majority of them. And I would be surprised if they weren't, you know, effective there. So you got to The point of attack is going to be Jimmy Butler and trying to keep him out of the lane and keep him just shooting threes. Uh, and, and lure him into doing that. And that, if you can do that more than not, then you should be in pretty good shape. So I'll put you on the spot. Will they do it? Ha uh-huh. ha. Yes. Okay. They, I mean, I'm sure they will. I, I just feel like what I've seen, and again, I, I wish I could tell you that the Celtics' uh, defense was rated higher and they were really an efficient machine uh, on the defensive end. And, you know, they're, they're 13th. They're kind of average there. But um, I, I have confidence that Brad Stevens will get them all playing together and stay on the game plan, and and they will, you know, they will make the the Bulls take the shots they want them to take. Um, you know, will they get hot? Will Wade go for forty and they win a game? You know, and same with Butler. You know, they they might be able to win two games in the series, but I still feel like the home court advantage for the Celtics will be enough for them. And you know, there's just something going on with the Bulls. It just feels like they've got the you know they got a rain cloud following them over their head like. Uh, Whoever that Peanuts character is, it's not Linus. It's a uh, Pigpen, right? I I wouldn't know. Sorry, wrong person. To well, but I, mean, I don't even know either. But they they kind of had that little bit of that going over there, so we'll see. But uh, yeah, that that's sort of what I'm thinking is going to happen there. And uh, now, remind you, the Bulls are actually a really good defensive on team. N- oh, I thought you're ready to say they're really good on TNT. Oh well, <laughs> I don't even know if they are, but they certainly are good on the defensive end. They're top ten, and they ha- they have good energy there. And so they match up well trying to trying to chase around the perimeter and stop those spot-up shots. So, you know, that is one thing to watch for. And if they continue those good rotations and get hands up and the Celtics get a little bit tight in the knickers, um, you know, that those games could be a little close. I want to take a moment to talk about Movement Watches. If you haven't heard of them, they are the world's fastest-growing watch company. Found on the belief that style should not break the bank, Movement was started by two broke college kids who just wanted to wear stylish watches but couldn't afford them. So they went out and they started their own company. How about that? We can relate here at CLNS Radio as we all remember at one point in time the lack of Celtics audio content there was in the digital realms, which was one of the primary reasons for the launch of Celtics Beat five years ago. But while we don't try to change opinions, the watchmaker's goal is to change the way consumers think about fashion by offering high-quality minimalist products at revolutionary prices. Movement watches start at just $95. At a department store, you're looking at four or 500 bucks. Because they sell online, they're able to cut out the middleman and most importantly, that retail markup saving you the big bucks for this high quality product. And even the name's cool. Get this. It's spelled out MVMT. Get 15% off today with free shipping and free returns by going to MVMTwatches.com slash Celticsbeat. This watch has a really clean design. I've been getting compliments left, right, and sideways ever since I put it on. And now is the time to step up your watch game. Go to mvmtwatches.com slash Celticsbeat. Join the movement. Shifting towards the defensive end, we, me and you have talked about it a, a ton over the last five months. You reference it, Celtics finishing 13th defensively. That was something in which before the season... Would have been shocking and equally shocking that not only would they finish 13th in defensive efficiency coming into the season, that they would still get the number one seed. I don't know if that's a a glass half full, glass half empty thing where you could say, oh, wow, what a testament that is to Brad Stevens. Or at the same time, a glass half empty and that, wow, what a paper tiger that they are. But uh, how about a little, I'll do sort of a, 
how to beat the Celtics defensively uh, since, you know, as much as I watch them. I, the, the caddy is certainly out of the bag in that it's just you talk about key on Isaiah offensively. You just key on him defensively. A lot of small, small pick and rolls. Not sure if Chicago has the personnel to do that as well as some other teams like Toronto and Washington can. You can send a lot of cutters to the basket. The Cleveland did that very effectively in that game a week and a half, two weeks ago now that I know you watched. Celtics, are, you know, their big men are always... This is the real reason as to why you say, geez, you know, Boston's got all these really good defenders on the court. I know Isaiah is the worst defender in the NBA, but why Why are you know, they have great defenders on the court? Big problem is, is you have one big man, Horford, Olenek, or, or whomever, always shadowing Amir Johnson sometimes. They're always shadowing Isaiah's guy. So that leaves them a lot. This You saw that on the Cleveland game in that they're always at least one step off when, say, Cleveland was sending all those cutters to the basket the way they were. So uh, that's obviously, that's stating the obvious. One thing that I think is of interest in that we really only saw it in the two of the final five-ish regular season games of the year. You couldn't use the last three because Charlotte never uses this mechanism and the Brooklyn and Milwaukee games were a joke. They may as well have been exhibition games for all we know, but Chicago's definitely got to do this, right? Send two or more guys to the offensive glass all the time. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we, we know the Celtics are, have struggled with defensive boards. And, you know, guys like Olenek, I, I love Olenek, and he does a nice job defensively. Lousy rebounder. They're not, yeah, they're just not like a really aggressive big rebounders. And Horford, you know, can kind of do that, but it's often all by himself down there. And, you know, without question, they could they, the Bulls could afford to to at least, you know, crash at least the one or two guys. I mean, most of the league doesn't even want to do more than one guy now to get back on defense. But uh, it is definitely should be part of their game plan because it's one of those things that the Celtics have struggled with. You know, they've also struggled defensively, by the way, with guarding ISOs. And again, like it doesn't make a lot of sense because they have guys like Boston? Smart and Bradley. Oh, interesting. OK, go ahead. Yeah. Please get into and that so because I'm Brian right Scalabrini now. keeps saying how great they are. And I, I, I may be throwing him, poor Scal, under the bus. But he's always talked about how the Celtics, he's really comfortable with, with how they guard isolations. You know, well, here's the thing. I mean, most teams are smart. They're not going to ISO against Crowder. They're not going to ISO against Smart, right? Like, they're, you know, they're going to do a pick and roll, force a switch, and now you got a guard, you know, Olenek guarding a guard, and then the ISO there. So that's what you got to be worried about because it's you know I, you can't expect some of those bigs to be able to handle that as well. And then if there's no other big around to rotate over, then it's an easy score. So I, I would think that well, I, you know if I dove into even hundreds and hundreds of clips, what I would see is a lot less. No one's scoring on Smart. No one's scoring on Crowder. No one's scoring on Bradley. But it's the other guys, and then and certainly with Thomas. And I like what you said about how people get a little bit concerned about Thomas and they start shading over more towards him. And now they're out of position. We saw that happen with like David Lee a lot back in the day when he was playing on certain teams where um, they would just help out more than they needed to, and then he looked worse because of that. Uh, the whole defense would break down. So, um, you know, that's that's a couple of interesting things in the question of whether or not, you know, the Bulls can, can, can force enough of those to stay competitive. I mean, you know, the more I'm talking myself into it, the more I'm thinking, you know what, this might be more competitive than I thought. Yeah, I was actually going to even ask you, too, would the Bulls have the personnel to do things such as sending a lot of cutters to the basket? Well, you know, certainly Dwayne Wade's did. the best of them yeah, all. The way Cleveland did. Yeah, they do. They have and they have they have the offense for that. And you know, Dwayne Wade's one of the best off ball cutters we've ever seen. Um, and they have Rondo who can find them. 
Um, you know, so it's funny because now the Bulls fans might be getting a little bit too excited about all this, too, because remember, it's still eight versus one. And um, that, as far as I can remember, it's never been an upset in the NBA. Um, wait. Oh, wait. Did uh, no, right, actually, let's, not see. Right. Uh, let's see if I can get this off the top of my head. We need we need our listeners. Ninety four Nuggets over Sonics. That's, yes, that's the, the yes. famous one that we all know. The 99 Knicks in that absolute farce of an NBA season, which was a lockout. I don't even think that should count because that was a 50-game season. Right. Uh, the Grizzlies defeated the Spurs in 11. And then the We Believe Warriors. Is that it? That's right. That's 14. Were they Is there eighth? another one that I missed? Okay. Yes, the Warriors wow. beat the Mavs, 67 okay. wins. Is that it? Was there been anything uh, more recently outside of the, the 2011 when Memphis defeated the yeah. Spurs? And that the Spurs didn't have Mono in that series. That was a kind of a semi-asterisk. Right. But I think that's it. Yes, I guess. You know, I forgot that happened. But, sir, I mean, hey, I watched the uh, the Nuggets uh, live. That's a famous one. You know? I remember that and one, so, too. Uh, I love yeah. that. Sonics team, I use them all the time in NBA Live 95. Sorry about that. Once again, we just went, you know, we started off the show with no 90s reminiscing. And, and there, we just did it. Can't help it. You I can't get away it. from it. There's I can a, reminisce about the yeah. 80s if you want. No, no. That, that we will <laughs> not do. A little get off tangent real quick. This has been sort of discussed in those dreaded hot takes talk shows. 2017 Celtics worst number one seed ever. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Which which Celtics? The, these Celtics. The number oh, one these, are these the worst number one? Wow. This is the number worst? Uh, you know, I, I, I guess I'd have to look at the list, you know, but they, you're right. There, there's holes, you know, and it was surprising that they got there. Um, so... So you know, I, I, they're not one of the best. I would say I can't. I can't think about the way anybody worse, but certainly, yeah, it's. Uh, they're not like an imposing, frightening thing, especially after that first round. Like it's hard to look at them being a, like a huge favorite against anybody else. I'll jump on you too. So I want. I wanted to ask you. There was a Pistons team. Uh, I think it was. It had to have been two thousand. It was the year before they won the championship. Before they traded for for Rasheed Wallace. Uh, oh. Two thousand three. I think they mm-hmm. won fifty. Like, that's it. They just won 50 games, and they got swept in the conference finals. That was the worst number one seed ever. That's the worst team. There was also a real flimsy Mavs team that Don Nelson coached that he did some quirky stuff like throw Walt. The original small ball guy, he would throw Walt Williams at center in a few games. They got off to a big start, and then they just held on to this by the skin of their balls as a one seed. So, I don't know. Maybe the Celtics team, two or three, we're not going to go as worst one seed ever. That that Pistons team that was in the conference finals, that that, that was the year uh, they were all set up for the few, they, the actually kind of an interesting little little analogy in that that was the Pistons team that had the lottery pick with Memphis that they of course ended up using for Darko and that that flamed out. Now the Celtics have this lottery pick going ahead. Uh, okay, back to the series. Well- well, let's, let's not forget this. The biggest advantage the Celtics are going to have throughout any of these series is Brad Stevens. And when you look at their after-timeout plays and out-of-bounds plays, they're both elite at those. They, get, they run some of the best sets you're going to see, and they execute them as well as anybody. Those are free points. And, you know, we showed when the um, – the Celtics, I'm sorry, when the Cavaliers and the Warriors played the first time, the Warriors won. The Warriors had such a huge advantage on after timeout plays and out of bounds plays that that was pretty much the difference in that series. And you know, you're going to see. I, I guarantee you you're going to see a game where they call a timeout with a like, tie game and you know four seconds to go, and he draws up a play that wins them the game. I mean, I can't guarantee, but I, I would suspect we're going to see something like that because that's what he's so good at. You know what the play they were using a lot towards the end of the season, especially there was a. The key win of the regular season at the end there was the Charlotte win that we were you know t- talked about briefly here a week ago in Charlotte that that game they were 
running a ton of plays out of the timeouts at the end of games. I think the, the key basket of the game was they're using Avery Bradley a lot now, the same way you can almost use like Reggie Miller and Ray Allen coming off you know, 7 million screens. That seems to be the go-to after timeout play in the clutch at the end of the games. Most of the season, 85% of the season, it was the Al Horford, Isaiah Thomas dribble handoff. This little mm-hmm. Avery Bradley and turning him into a Halloween costume of Reggie Miller and Ray Allen. Is, I don't know if you've seen a lot of it in your in your film, but I, I can give you a heads up on that one. Yeah, no, and also, I mean, my favorite one, and they run it every once in a while, is that when they throw the, the weak side lob, like, all the way across the court for us, like, like I, I forget, like, they, he jumps and he grabs and they, like, quick pass somewhere else, and everyone's turned their head, and it's a wide-open shot somewhere, so, you know, he gets out of the box on a lot of those, too, and so, uh, that's what's exciting about, that's coaching, that's what's, what makes me excited about watching them play so much, so, uh, and I not, know you not have an overlooked. affinity for basketball coaching. I do a little bit. And so, you know, those are the key moments in a playoff game that where a coach can really earn his paycheck. And, um, you know, we'll see. I mean, again, after the first round, it's going to be an interesting thing with them, you know, considering they are the first seed and what's going to happen and whether or not they're going to be favored. But, um, you know, this we'll see. It still feels like uh, they they, they should have control of this game and they have home court advantage is going to be the biggest thing of all. One really quirky thing, because I do want to discuss really just a little final breakdown of the Bulls' defense. You know, real quirky thing about Brad Stevens' teams, and as we head into game one later tonight, 6.30 tip, is the Celtics under Brad Stevens over the last three years, and and I've, you know, mentioned the records on various shows over the last two years, they generally don't play all, and actually you can even use the Cleveland game as an example, when they had like a three-day layoff, they played Sunday, then they didn't play again until that Wednesday against Cleveland, and then Cleveland was on a back-to-back themselves. Celtics do very well on back-to-backs under Brad Stevens. They do, you know, pretty well on one-day rest. They generally don't bring out great efforts when they have numerous days off for whatever reason. So I think that's one real goofy thing to look about in, at Game 1. That is a little goofy. Uh, like, maybe they'll come out a little bit rusty or uh, out of sync. Um, you know, I don't and that know is, what that it is. is. I just don't know also, what it is. Also, what time, that, uh, what time Six, is that game? 6.30 tip. Oh, that good. Okay, so th- that's a key thing because uh, those weird twelve thirty tips uh, are always throw people off, and uh, it, the closer it can be to a normal seven thirty time, uh, it generally ben- benefits both teams. But then I think the home team more. Jeez, yeah, that's actually another thing you brought up. Usually the Celtics actually outs. I think they lost a one o'clock game in Philadelphia this year, but they've always jumped on teams in afternoon games. The Bulls game. I don't know if you you referenced there was a Bulls game. They played. I want to say a three o'clock tip. In, you know, mid-March or something like that. It was an ABC game. The Bulls just didn't even show. It was a joke. So the Celtics yeah. have always been pretty effective in in these afternoon games. Anyways, we only got a few minutes left, so we'll give sort of a little how to beat the Bulls defensively. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. They're, they're very good. And so you're going to have to try and get them a little bit early. I would think in transition is going to help uh, with that. And I know that people say that, like, the pace slows down in the playoffs, but it doesn't necessarily have to, and you can continue to push. So that you want to try and get them there. Um, you want to try and get, uh, you know, they're actually very good at pick and roll ball handler uh, defense. They uh, they contain very well. They're top five, and uh, in the spot up, like I mentioned before. So, you know, it's not like you can radically change the way you uh, you attack. Like they they need to get the ball movement. They need to continue to get that deep penetration, um, and that's what you have to worry about. If the Bulls are able to keep them 15 feet or out, 
You know, and if that one dribble to the penetration isn't deep enough, uh, then the, then they're going to get a hand up, and that's going to be the issue. So you're going to have to try and really force that issue to get inside. The best thing that the the uh, Celtics can do also are those drag screens for Isaiah Thomas in semi transition when the defense isn't quite set yet, and that's where Isaiah gets like I would say most of his shots off of the pick and roll is when they just set it right away as he's bringing the ball up. And that's going to be uh, a, a real killer for the Bulls' defense. All right, so may as well, once again, no more sense in dragging this on. I know you like the Celtics, but I was sort of talking you in in Chicago. Even though that was not my intent, I like the Celtics, and I actually like them to win in five games, as a matter of fact. Maybe six. I actually th- this, they're very, they're, they're, they've been very good at winning some tough games on the road under Brad Stevens. But that has been, I don't want to say a popular upset. The BPI projections, if those mean anything, they somewhat do. Or they don't. They're a little low for a 1-8, but I like Boston. I know you, comma, still like Boston even after doing this show. So, why? Yeah, air quotes. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, yeah. Are you asking me why I still like Boston? Yes, of course. Yeah, I mean, you know, listen, they, they, they're the number one seed. They're home. Uh, those are two, you know, big things. Um, the Bulls. You know, just I don't think the Bulls score well enough overall. And unless something radically changes, and again, they're going to you know, tighten up the rotations and guys are going to play less, and so they're going to get the best of what they have. And uh, I don't know. It just, it just feels like the, um, the, the Celtics overall have a better team and the play like a team better. And in my mind, that always will overcome, you know, the other team in, in a seven-game series. You know, Butler is going to go off in one game. They're going to win that one. It's going to be fun to watch the, the Marquette connection with, uh, you know, Crowder. I would imagine guarding Butler a little bit or maybe vice versa. And those are two tough, tough hombres going against each other. So um, so we'll have some intrigue there. But, uh, again, I just think that they will outlast them. The only question you have is, like, you know, do the Celtics have enough sort of experience? You know, Butler and Wade and Rondo, those guys are really grizzled veterans um, and know how to do it. And the Celtics are still learning. And so that's the only other caveat. But, you know, I don't know. I, I would be surprised if they, if they if they won it, in uh, if the Bulls were able to win. And I'd be I mean, I don't think it would go seven. I think it, the most it's going to go is six. Yeah, I, I'm, so, I'm sort of with you on that. But I actually think, you know, I always say, oh, this is – this is the key game. I really think, as I, I, I reference the, for whatever reason, the Celtics den- generally do not play well uh, under Brad Stevens in games where they have multiple days off between games. I really think this game one is almost the whole series because I think Boston will definitely win on Tuesday. And you talked about how that this Bulls team has just had a bizarre cloud that has been over this team the entire season. And there have been points in the season where they've actually packed it in. And they've looked like just... I mean, they've just packed it in over the course of a week. So if Boston can take this series back to Chicago 2-0, they're going to come out with a good effort in Game 3, but that they'd be halfway to the offseason. As soon as you start thinking about the offseason, we know generally what that does to the level of play. Right. Yeah, I mean, listen, the Bulls steal a game in, in the Garden, um, and uh, it's it's it, it changes things to some degree, but... Uh, Remember the uh, the set the the first round is still is it it's still two it's the best, two, two one 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 oh, right oh yeah yeah two two one 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 they changed it fifteen years ago from a best of five to a best of seven which I mean I hate but that's this is not the time and place for that no but wait but, it, but it, they didn't make it two the three two, two for no the, the two three two is long gone that's that's out of the NBA entirely it's all, now. It's all, it was only right, in the right. finals and. Right. So that, that's what makes it weird because uh, – or not weird but because it's the same as it's always been. So right. So that game five is in, in, in Boston. Yes. And that's big. Mm-hmm. So give me then a little 
quick outlook then for the boss for the Celtics and the rest of the playoffs. I mean, there's clearly a ceiling with Cleveland unless there's something bizarre that happens, i.e. a LeBron James injury. I would be oh just devastated if that happened. Uh, there's clearly a, <laughs> a thank you. Thank you for laughing uh, to show the audience my sarcasm on that one. But there's clearly a ceiling with the Celtics team in the playoffs. We'd all be doing cartwheels if they made the Eastern Conference Finals. I'm of the mindset of winning play, win a playoff series, taken and run. If there's anything else after that, great. Uh, just give me sort of a general outlook on the Celtics as they as they stand with the rest of the Eastern Conference here. Yeah, well, they're lucky they don't they wouldn't have to play the Cavaliers in the conference finals, but they're also unlucky because you know the Wizards, I imagine, come out of their first round series, and I've been picking them to be the biggest threat to the Cavaliers. I'm, I'm Although, you, you know, suddenly you know Lowry looks fine after a wrist injury which sounds crazy to me so uh the Raptors are, are probably an inch ahead of the Wizards for that threat but either way uh I, I mean I don't know Bradley Beal John Wall the you know Otto Porter they, they've got some good players over there um they've underachieved a bit this year and um you never know if Scott Brooks is gonna you know pull out some interesting stuff he's his his coaching resume has really impressed me this year compared to other years at OKC so uh, I would be. I would probably end up picking the Wizards um, in a series in that second round. That's Coach Nick of B-Ball Breakdown, bballbreakdown.com, youtube.com slash bballbreakdown, Twitter, at bballbreakdown, and his podcast, which also available, like this one, on the CLNS Radio mobile app called B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. I know he's going to have frequent content of his breakdown of game footage for this upcoming Celtics playoff series. And I'd also, too, ever since he joined CLNS uh, as part of the extended family, we've got him watching a lot of Celtics coverage for you guys. But um, I know he's going to be doing a lot with the Celtics playoff series with Chicago. Uh, but I do know the draft is still of major interest to Celtics Nation. I still see much of discussion in various online communities. I'm going to give a shout-out to Alan's Tommy Points Facebook group. Uh, but I don't know. I can actually see this now, right? Game seven of the series against Chicago goes into triple overtime, yet there's still going to be those banging away at the keyboard, sucking up Markel Fultz and Lonzo Ball footage uh, during that time. But Nick has, and I know many of you are aware of this and, and have already been checking out, and I see you all sharing his videos. And I know he loves that, by the way. Uh, breaking down the prospects, he's done, I want to say, the top four, which is kind of all the Celtics need, right? Ha-ha. But he's done the top four. He's going to go well beyond that with all the draft prospects. So that is something I know is of interest to many of those who listen to this show. It's especially valuable to me as someone who did not watch one live game of Markel Fultz this year or any of the international prospects for that matter. So yes, I do advise uh, for anyone to check that out if they have not already. And if they have already, check it out again. It's well worth the watch. But uh, yes, the Celtics are in the playoffs and we hope for at least another month or so, right? That would be really good. But if there's one thing that I have come to realize about how Celtics fans are handling this season, both with the current product and future aspirations, it's that they can certainly walk and chew gum at the same time. Anyways, there's Nick's shout-out. I want to thank him one more time for joining the show yet again. Now to what many of have been waiting for, the ticket giveaway... That's right, the playoffs, we do so here on the show. We would love to thank the Celtics for that. Uh, that was done so by following yours truly on Twitter at CLNS underscore LHR, at CLNS underscore LHR. Winner, per usual, was picked at random. Those who already followed uh, were on the contest already. New followers, that's how they entered. Great response these past two weeks, I believe, now we've been running this contest. 
I first want to give a big shout out to CLNS's social media coordinator, Tyler James of Celtic Social, for all the help. And of course, everyone who took part in the contest as well. Uh, stay the course, as stated. Whether you follow me or follow the show on Facebook or write us a review on iTunes, those reviews and follows, those are eternal entries into our giveaways, be it tickets or merchandise. Uh, and we do so here every month. Will we be giving away tickets to say? Eastern Conference Finals, uh, that will not be my call. That is going to be the calls of Isaiah Thomas, Al Horford's, Jay Crowder's, uh, Gerald Green's. Will we see more Gerald Green in the postseason, by the way? I'm going to keep an eye on, on the patience Brad Stevens will have for Jalen Brown, who has completed his stellar rookie season. What type of trigger, though, will Jalen Brown have for the playoffs? I mean, he played very well at the tail end of the regular season, and he looks so comfortable now just the way he moves out there. But it'll be interesting to see how comfortable he is uh, during these more pressure-intense situations that are called playoff games. Uh, we are actually getting off topic, talking about the Celtics on the court. I apologize. Drum roll. Thank you. The winner of the tickets, two tickets to Game 2, Tuesday night, Bulls at Celtics at the TD Garden for an 8 p.m. tip. Adam Kelly, 82. M. Kelly, 82. Congratulations, you have won the grand prize. Thank you for your entry. Thanks to everyone who entered. Also, because so many of you entered into this very contest, we will be giving away some Blue Apron meals to some of our most loyal entrants and followers. I will be in touch with you this week to thank those who followed me on Twitter, reviewed Celtics Beat on iTunes, Keep everything there. That's that's needed for the future. But yes, Blue Apron meals for some of our runners-up, so to speak. Again, BlueApron.com slash CelticsBeat. BlueApron.com slash CelticsBeat. Three free meals with free shipping. Why make it today for the game tonight? 6.30 p.m. tip here on the East Coast. The all-important game one. I said it with Nick. One thing to watch for are the Celts' normal struggles with long layoffs. But if they get this one, and they are favored, certainly, substantially, actually, tonight, but they hold serve at home, more accurately. I know they always struggle in the Tudorburg Forest, that is the United Center, for, oh, the last 25 years or so. But Nick knows it. I've even realized it from afar. This Bulls team has gone into chill mode numerous times this season. So you take a 2-0 lead back to Chicago. You know, Boston really should not have much problems with this one for the rest of the series. We would love to be back here next Sunday talking about the Celtics wrapping this up in a sweep. I wouldn't count on that one, actually. Uh, one game at a time. One play at a time. Stay in the present moment. But that's not my job. That's theirs. The green uniforms. The paid professionals. Mine will be to be back here for episode number 206 next Sunday under whatever circumstance that may present. But for number 205... I want to thank Coach Nick for joining us once again. Thrice is nice. Thanks to all those who downloaded yet another episode of Celtics Beat, making this the number one podcast on the web dedicated to the NBA's winningest franchise. Support this broadcast by using our Celtics Beat coupon codes over at Movement Watches and Blue Apron. Music was provided by Chuck Dietz and Steph Legratto. For staff writer Eddie Santiago, graphics designer Scott Dillon, CLNS's founder Nick Gelso, I am Larry H. Russell. See everyone back here next Sunday for another edition of Celtics Beat, powered by the CLNS Media Network.